Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hello Adult in the Podcast. I'm your host, Shanique. It's October, which is recognized as Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and this week, this podcast is being used as a platform to spread the correct and right information about breast cancer. Early detection saves lives when it comes to cancer, and dispelling myths can only come about when we have the right information. So this week, I am joined by my guest, Dr. Jordan Hardy, who is a consultant, obstetrician, and gynecologist, to talk about breast cancer and to get some questions answered. Dr. Hardy received his undergraduate medical training at the University of the West Indies, Mona. Upon completion, he went on to pursue the Doctor of Medicine in Obstetrics and Gynecology. He is also a fellow of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. In addition to his medical practice, Dr. Hardy is a husband, a believer in healthy lifestyle practices, and an avid sports fan. We're getting into this conversation with Dr. Hardy, so please take notes. And if you have any questions lingering after the episode is done, just stick around to the end and you'll find out how you can get those questions answered. All right, let's get into this episode. Thanks so much for joining me, Dr. Hardy. I really appreciate it. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I am good at staying inside. How is it out there on the battlefield for you? We are facing challenges, but we are making it through. Yes, 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 yes. As as we all can. All right, so let's start off talking about you a little bit. So you committed your professional life to the health of of women, and you work in Jamaica. So I'm going to say making the health of Jamaican women a priority. So let's talk about why did you decide to go around that medical field instead of, you know, some other practice? Oh, so... As it relates to obstetrics and gynecology, initially, I was most interested in internal medicine, which is for your listeners that listen to hosts, that's the one that is most closest to it. Mm. Um, So you have these very interesting conditions that you kind of have to figure out. Of course, these very interesting conditions are also associated with severe illness. And in my rotation, I grew to, 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 to love obstetrics and gynecology because it allows me to make a positive impact on the patient. Yeah. And from the obstetric side, a uh, delivery is something great for a family. Mommy's happy, daddy's happy, sometimes grandparents are there, everybody's excited. We're welcoming new life into the world. As it relates to gynecology, you have patients who you are able to assist in various means, patients of chronic pelvic pain, uterine fibroid, severe endometriosis, who you are able to help improve their quality of life. So I found, I grew to love it. I found it very interesting. And I appreciate the fact that I can make a positive impact on the majority of the patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that when it comes to having a doctor that's an OBGYN, for me personally, I think that's one of the most personal doctors I have for obvious reasons. But I feel like that doctor is somebody that, you know, you definitely have to be able to talk to. And when I think it was what, two years ago, when I wanted to explore the topic of breast cancer awareness, you know, I was referred to you, uh, somebody to, to talk about it with on my show, my TV show, you know, I was referred to you and I felt like you were so comfortable sitting and talking and sharing the information. So I know that you are definitely the best person for my listeners to 
have that conversation with right now. And so we're going to jump right into it, talking about breast cancer awareness. So let's set, this, let's set the scene a little bit. What is the reality of breast cancer like in Jamaica right now? What's the, do you have any statistics on the prevalence of it right now? So the, 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 it's the reality of breast cancer in Jamaica, unfortunately, right now is not. So breast cancer is the number one cause of cancer-related death in women in Jamaica. Second, and this is even more troubling, the, the mortality rate is increasing and it is increasing among our younger women. So we noted, we noted increases in the 35 to 44 year old bracket. And that is of significant concern. So not only are we seeing more women with breast cancer, but we're seeing more young women with breast cancer who know paying the ultimate price, mortality. Wow. And so before it became this young age now, what was the general average age that you would see women presenting um, breast cancer? I don't want to say before it became the young age, it, it is still predominantly a condition that we see in older women, 50s, 60s, etc. Right. However, looking at the rate of increase, we're seeing a rate of increase in young women that is very troublesome. Uh, got you. Okay, understood. Um, so that that is really the concern, and primarily because the majority of the international recommendations for screening start at forty-five. Yeah. So if you're seeing mortality between thirty-five and forty-four, it now means that you start. You are now going to have to look at a younger age population in terms of patient education, emphasizing screening. If they notice anything untoward, they need to present earlier. Because bef because before you could actually kept present for a routine mammogram, you could actually have full blown cancer on board. Right, all right. So cancer, you know, is one of those diseases that is is hard for me to understand in a sense because it's not like um, one of those like it's not a lifestyle disease. So, you know, it's not something that you do per se or that you never take care of your health or whatever it is that causes it. So it's always really baffling to me to understand where cancer comes from. So if in layman terms and as best as possible, can you kind of explain where cancer comes from? Like how does one develop cancer? So, well, cancer has many faces, unfortunately, not only faces in terms of people who develop cancer, but the different tumors behave differently. So as it relates to generally cancer is disordered growth. So it's cells in your body that are growing out of control. So you, we have a pattern or a cycle of life, not only in terms of your natural life as a human, but in terms of your cells. So they grow and then they're supposed to eventually certain cells go away. Okay. Cancer cells are almost like immortal cells. They just keep growing and growing at the expense of the host. So breast cancer now is, we tend to look at risk factors. So we have a few risk factors, some of them which are prevalent in our population that we look at in terms of patients who are high risk for development of breast cancer. So women who have a family history of breast cancer, someone who has a personal history of having a breast cancer in the other breast is at risk for developing breast cancer in the breast, in the breast that may have been conserved at surgery. Women who have had an early period or for women who have had a late menopause, patients, women who delay pregnancy, which is now becoming more and more prevalent in our society, 
especially as we now encounter the career woman who is now focusing on her career and delaying childbearing. And anyone who has had previous radiotherapy to their chest. Now, not common for those who have not had a tumor before, but some people have had large keloid scars, which may have also experienced, may have required radiotherapy. They may also be at risk. Okay. Um, let's go back a little bit, something that I, don't, I didn't know, the delaying of childbirth. Um, what is the risk factor there? So you said that women who are delayed childbirth, you know, carrier and all of that. What, what is the risk factor? It, it is multifaceted. We believe that a pregnancy is protective because you get a break from your menstrual periods, mm. so a break from the, the unopposed estrogen. So delaying pregnancy, we believe, is a risk factor for the development of breast cancer. Ah, that's very interesting. I never came across that while I was researching CCY. It's good that we're talking. Um, so you, you mentioned family history and family history. Is that just if somebody in your family had breast cancer before or is, does your risk factor increase if somebody, anybody, any type of cancer at all um, is in your immediate family or extended? So if you have a first degree relative so that has had breast cancer, that is a risk factor for breast cancer. But other tumors that are related are ovarian cancer and um, we call it, well, primary peritoneal cancer, which is extremely rare. But primarily breast cancer and a first degree relative are ovarian cancer. Okay, increases your likelihood. All right. Increases your likelihood of developing breast cancer. And then, so we spoke a while ago about the younger women are not presenting. And I feel like that's one of the myths that a lot of persons have that, oh, I'm too young to have breast cancer or anything, because he said that the younger age is now having 35 to 44 age group. But I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but breast cancer is no respecter of age. So it doesn't matter what age you are, you can get it, right? Yes, so it is still most prevalent as in most often seen in older women. But as I said at the, in, at the beginning, we are seeing not only an increase, but an increase in the mortality. Mm -hmm. for reasons that we have not yet explained. But younger women are developing breast cancer and younger women are, of course, losing the battle. Mm -hmm. So this is why we definitely emphasize patient education and screening. Screening saves lives. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, before we go into talking about detection and all of that, I think another part of the breast cancer conversation that is largely left um, up to chance and I think it's probably why we see more mortality in this, in this group that I'm about to mention, mm -hmm. it's men. So it's not a woman cancer, no, contrary to popular no. belief. No, it isn't. So let's talk about male breast cancer in Jamaica. Um, is it prevalent in Jamaica? So fortunately it is not, male breast cancer is not prevalent, as prevalent as female breast cancer in Jamaica. And this is a global, this is a phenomenon we see globally. However, unfortunately, men tend to present at a later stage and tend to have a poorer prognosis. So there, a, a male who is diagnosed with breast cancer is more likely to present later, require, and more likely to lose their battle, mm -hmm. more likely to require more invasive procedures, and more likely to have the term we use is morbidity or become more ill from their tumor. Mm -hmm. And I think, is that, could that be because you know, they're detecting it late? because they're not checking. It is a multiplicity. So one, men tend to not have healthcare seeking behavior. So generally men tend to, for want of a better term, like to watch. 
they're not very fond of going to the doctor. Mm. A lot of men like to think that they're okay. They're, they're all right. That is not usually the case. Uh, breast examination is not something that we emphasize toward men. And also the male breast does not have as much tissue as the female breast. So there's increased risk of invasion into the chest wall. So there's a multitude of factors, but definitely there's a social, a significant social component, many men, and this applies not only to breast cancer, but as we are now speaking, we're speaking about prostate cancer as well in other forums, tend to like to wait and watch. And men don't really like to go to the doctor. Usually they are brought kicking and screaming by family members or spouses. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So the men too have to pay attention to this part of the conversation that we're getting to, which is the, um, the breast exam and the self-detection and not just self-detection, but also detection overall of cancer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a female, I like to think that I'm always, you know, better at, you know, self-care and health and all of that. But one of the things that always baffled me was the breast self-exam. And you're told, you know, do a, do a self-exam, do a breast exam, you know, examine yourself, get to know yourself a little bit. So if anything is off, you can always know. But for me, it's always like, uh, but there is a, the breast itself has lumps. Yes. Something that feels like lumps. So how do you know when it's a lump that you need to pay attention to or when it's just a lump? So the, the, the lumps that are sinister. So first things first, definitely I agree. Breast self-exams are useful. We don't use it as a primary screening modality, but it's something that I encourage because it allows the patient to be comfortable within themselves. Okay. And many women can identify something that's not quite right. They might not be able to tell you what it is, but they know their bodies and they're able to say, express that something is not right. And that can often spur you to start seeing, seeking what is the cause of this feeling. Maybe something related to breast or otherwise. Mm-hmm. So for the breast self-exam, the, the lumps that are sinister. So a lump that is not mobile. So it's not moving. It almost feels, the term used is tethered to the skin. So it feels like it's attached to the skin. If there are any, is if there's any dimpling of the breast, the, the medical term is orange. It literally looks like an orange peel. If there's any overlying skin changes or any changes to how the nipple area looks, then those are lumps that are, those are red flag signs. Uh, red flag signs can also be associated, including lumps under the arm. Now, many people develop axillary lymph nodes, uh, a colloquial term is wax on canon, but associated with a breast lump, it is something that you need to get checked. It may just happen to be that the lymph node was there and you didn't notice it until you noticed the lump. So now you're paying closer attention. But if you notice a breast lump associated with that lymph node, you need to go and see your practitioner so that we can image it and determine if this lump is sinister. Okay. When you say changes in the way the nipple area looks, so changes can be very, I guess it's very subjective. But mm-hmm. when you when you talk about change, they mentioned the breast something about an orange peel with a tumor, you know, looking um yes. attaching to tethered to the skin. Mm-hmm. When you say abnormalities, what are some of the ways that abnormalities look? Because sometimes people can't see something and they don't even think anything of it because they just don't know. So you might notice that the the, the, the skin around the nipple area has become scaly. Mm. 
So patients will present and say, boy, doc, I've been lotioning and lotioning and this, this, these scales are not going away. The skin just looks so dry. Mm-hmm. Um, that is usually a red flag sign. It is unusual. You've never noticed that your, your nipple area was scaly before. It is not because of hygiene. You really need to come and see someone. Gotcha. In, severe, in severe cases, sometimes the nipple can be retract. So I once and I once protuberant nipple can now start pulling in. Mm. So you do have some women who are born with inverted nipples, but if you were not born with inverted nipples and you have you have suddenly started to notice that your nipple is inverted, something's not right. You need to have it checked. May not be as much as breast cancer, but that is definitely something that you need to be checked, investigated with urgency. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, let's talk now about screening tools. What are some of the screening tools that um, we should be aware of? And what's the um, effectiveness of each of them? And so the cornerstone of screening is the mammogram. And we usually recommend starting the mammogram at, at 45. Or t- if you have a first-degree relative who developed breast cancer at an early age, then 10 years before the onset of, it, of that first-degree relative diagnosis. And adjunctive, to, um, adjunctive screening methods could also include the MRI of the breast or breast ultrasounds. The, we, the, there is no consensus for the patient below 45. However, at the beginning of the interview, I did mention that we're noticing increased mortality for women below 45. So it is, it is something that you need to discuss with your practitioner because we don't, have a, we don't have a consensus just yet, just that the data, especially locally, is now emphasizing that we need to pay more attention to this age bracket. So some practitioners may opt for a clinical breast examination inclusive in addition to a breast ultrasound in a younger patient. Mm-hmm. And in patients who are of the age of 45 or older who have denser breasts, you may add an MRI to the mammogram. But the mammogram is really the cornerstone of breast screening. Okay. And so, okay, for ultrasounds and mammograms, I'm assuming that you have to get a referral to do something like that. Most commonly, yes. Okay. So for a more mature woman who, you know, may be listening um, and she is in the age group to get a mammogram, she couldn't just walk to, I guess, the the lab or anywhere just to say, as she wants a mammogram, she would have to go to a a physician and get referred. As I am aware, Cancer Society used to offer mammogram screening pre-COVID to walk-in patients, but I'm not sure if that has continued. Okay. But the other imaging institutions definitely require referral. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So for, for, for females, um, sorry, not females, for males, how do they usually um, detect? Is it same MRI ultrasound type treatment? Men, unfortunately, present so late. So yes, the mammogram is a, the initial investigation is the mammogram. But by the time the men present, they usually have clinical features and we normally move from screening to diagnosis. Mm. So they normally present with a lump and associated changes and that norm, well, most common, I shouldn't say normal, most commonly, we end up progressing to biopsy to see if this lump is malignant. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's definitely early detection is key, but we have a situation right now where we're in a pandemic 
and everybody wants to stay home and everybody wants to stay away from doctor's offices because they are, that's where sick people go, right? Generally. Yeah. So nobody wants to, nothing is wrong with you. You are not sick. And so you're just trying to stay home and not go to a doctor's office. But that affects um, detection and that affects conversation between patient and doctor. So let's talk about the, some of the challenges that this pandemic has presented in that area. Yeah, so definitely people are avoiding the doctor's office if they don't have to go. That is definitely something we have seen. And definitely people are avoiding the major hospitals. COVID has impacted especially screening because as people try to protect themselves, stay away from crowded areas, healthcare facilities, less women are presenting for screening of all sorts, including breast cancer. So this is something that we definitely have to look at in terms of how do we provide for our patients who are presenting who desire to have their breast cancer screening done. Uh, communication is important. How we schedule the appointments in terms of social distancing within the office, uh, spacing out the appointments, because ultimately we cannot afford to lose our patients, lose the battle to breast cancer as we are trying to win the battle for COVID. Mm -hmm. So we need to, and this is, we need to, patients need to converse with their healthcare providers and their healthcare, prof healthcare providers need to also initiate this conversation that we, we know you are trying to stay safe as we are encouraging, are following the protocol, social distancing, mask wearing, frequent sanitization, but breast cancer screening is still very important. So how can we find the best way for you to get your screening test done, reducing your risk? Mm -hmm. and Something about breast cancer screening. Okay, so... The second leading cancer in women in Jamaica is ovarian cancer, correct? Second leading cause of cancer-related death. death in Jamaica, right? But cervical cancer is more common. Than, than ovarian. ovarian, got you. But we screen. Um, so, you know, every, was it every two years we do a pap, you do a pap smear? Or well, depending, depending on the patient's age and, and the, well, there are a of factors. Depends on the practitioner for cervical cancer. Depends on the age of the patient and if the patient has any risk factors um, associated. But there's a time frame around when you when you do that pap smear yes. generally. Yes. Is there a way for us to have a time frame around um, breast cancer screening so that way you know that okay if you are at the mark no if you're at the two year mark for uh, your pap smear a doctor is gonna reach out and say hey Shanique you need to come in. You know, COVID or no COVID, I'm going to schedule you and you come in. But breast cancer screening is not so. So is there a way for us to get that screening a little bit more standardized? You have raised an excellent point for my patients who I am screening for other conditions other than cervical cancer via the pap smear. I usually include it in the well woman visit when I'm doing the pap smear. Mm. So at that point in time, if we're doing breast cancer screening, then I will... That give them a request for a mammogram or a breast ultrasound. If there's any other general medical conditions that we're assessing for and they need um, labs, kidney function, liver function, screen for hypertension, diabetes, then at that point in time, I also try to address those issues. Mm -hmm. Some women do it around their birthdays. Mm -hmm. So they just, because that's a date that everybody remembers. Yeah. But you are correct, there is no standard plan or protocol 
the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists does encourage gynecologists to screen their patients for all of the age-appropriate tumors at the well woman visit. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not so standard here in Jamaica, though. No, it isn't. That is correct. Do you know I know a lot of people who've never had breast exams? Like, then they're well older than I am. They've never, their doctor has never given them a breast exam. And so they find it weird when I say, oh, I'll ask. Like, I will literally be like, can you give me a breast exam? Because yes, I do it myself, but I will ask, I'll ask my doctor. The, inf the challenge we are having is, the, in the, the goal is, the cornerstone of screening is the mammogram. Mm -hmm. So what we don't want is the patient to come for a clinical breast examination and not to do the mammogram. Mm -hmm. And I think the message may have been lost at that point in time. So some people skip it. And if you are going to do the mammogram regularly, then it, it is possible. But we, because we have so many challenges with getting screening because the mammogram, mammograph is not the most accessible screening tool in Jamaica. For a number of reasons, there are not very many units. Some of the units that were present are no longer functional that in our setting, the clinical breast examination is still very useful and very important. In first oral settings, they tend to escalate from the mammogram to the MRI very quickly, but they have access to all of those facilities. And this is across the general population. Mm -hmm. mm. So I definitely would recommend the clinical breast examination because of access to screening. Exactly. Yeah, it opens that door yes. and starts that conversation. But if you just skip I it all together, I feel like that will fall to the wayside. I, and you just never have that conversation mm -hmm. until it is unfortunately too late. Yeah. Especially if you live somewhere where you have to travel a great distance to do that mammogram. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I think I feel like a lot of people should should do this thing that I do whenever I'm going to the doctor. I sit and I write down everything that I've felt in the last recent times every headache every foot ache everything if i'm going to a gp every time everything and then i address anything you want to talk about yes so on the first of january i had this because i don't go there so often so i feel if we do that and if we start just i feel like if we just open that conversation a lot more people will be talking about it because i honestly did not know that people do not have conversations when they go to the doctor like converse with the doctor that's you find out a lot of things in conversation with with clients i think with patients yes yes people and pay the people vary um i think it's a wise idea to write down your complaints um i've seen some very long lists and i try my best to up to address most of the concerns on the list um but yes you are correct speaking to your physician being comfortable speaking to your primary care provider expressing your concerns so that you are completely clear as to what you th what you think is wrong with you mm -hmm. and is very important yep it is very important oftentimes patients present a long list and it is at the bottom of the list that we get to the thing that may be most sinister i don't want to say get to the point because all of their points are important mm -hmm. but the thing that is most sinister the kind the part of the condition that will cause the most harm to the patient is quite often not what is at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. So it is not, it is a wise idea. Of course, um, 
it might mean that a lot of people are coming to my office with a long list of paper, but <laughs> it's okay. One, we will get there one at a time. Right. And at least, you know, if this person, you just say, run through your list and then, you know, you can get an idea of where their head is at. And then you can probably dig a little deeper and yes. see what the real issue is because healthcare is important and, you know, it saves lives. That conversation yes. could possibly save somebody's life. You never know. Could so. possibly save somebody's life. Yes, mm. definitely. In the breast cancer awareness conversations annually, something that I always notice is that the focus tends to be around early detection, early detection, which is good yes. and a message that we need to push. Yes. But I also feel a part of it that we need to talk about is what happens if you get that diagnosis? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people tend to feel like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. Some mm -hmm. people don't really know. Not a lot of people, surprisingly, Doc, not a lot of people are close to their physicians. And when I say close to, they don't feel comfortable just talking to their physicians. Some mm -hmm. people only see their doctors if they're sick. You know, no, they don't mm -hmm. go in for checkups or anything like that. So they get this diagnosis and they're just, they just don't know where to turn. They don't know what it all means. So mm -hmm. let's start. I want to have that conversation and I want to kind of get that understanding out there of the different stages. So you'll hear people say stage two cancer, stage four. What are the different stages and what does it mean for the patient? So for the patient of, well, early early detection saves lives. Mm -hmm. Put that out there. Um, and you are correct. The conversation as relates to breast cancer and cancer in general is often a challenging one. People you get diagnosed with cancer, you believe it's a death sentence. It's usually, it can commonly be associated with depression. They're not quite sure who to speak to, what, how much to tell them. It, a lot of women report that they feel almost like their body has failed them. Mm -hmm. So definitely it is a difficult conversation to initiate and, but it is one that needs to be had by the primary care physician or the obstetrician and gynecologist who quite often are the portal of entry for many women into the healthcare um, system. And then we would, would then, depending on the stage of the tumor, refer them to the, the general surgeons who would then move on to doing the biopsy and if surgical intervention is required, then they move on to the surgical intervention. The stages are there as of this current staging four. So there's stage one, stage two, stage four. Okay. The three, stage four, sorry, I left out the three. So the stage one early, that's where we want to get you. That's where we definitely want to make the diagnosis because that's where we will have all of our treatment options available. Mm -hmm. So you have your mammogram, we notice something on the mammogram and you go for a biopsy. So you go for the biopsy and the biopsy comes back, it's a dreaded cancer, uh, but it's early. At stage one, you can have breast conservation therapy, which is quite often the case where you have either skin spearing mastectomy or a lumpectomy associated with radiation therapy or chemotherapy. And then all of that means the lumpectomy is just taking out the lump, the infected taking lump. Out the lump. As opposed to taking off the whole breast, that is correct. Okay. And then you will have, then in stage two is still early-ish, not really early, all that. And then stage three, stage four refer to as locally advanced. Stage three is local. Stage two, beta three, locally advanced. Stage four, distant. 
and the prognosis is usually very poor for advanced disease. Mm -hmm. It is usually very poor for advanced disease. Those patients, their survival at five years, which is how we classify statistically, is usually quite poor. Mm -hmm. So there is um, one other thing that I've always heard in my convers conversations over the years, and that is breast cancer is one of the most beatable cancers. Mm -hmm. um, and that is largely because if you detect early, that is obviously you can't detect it at stage four and then expect it to be beatable like that. But do you agree mm -hmm. with that statement? And then what would you say is the recovery um, rate like in Jamaica? I, I do for early stage breast cancer, we have good results. Mm -hmm. I, of course, refer these patients to the oncology specialist. Um, I usually see them at the portal of entry and I'm happy to report the patients I have seen we have caught all of their tumors very early mm -hmm. and they're all doing very well. If we diagnose you at stage one or stage two A, then the survival rate is usually very high. Majority of the patients, well, I want to say greater than 75% of the patients definitely make the five-year survival mark and some of them will go on to live very long productive lives mm -hmm. because the true are our treatment options have increased so much in recent time. Yeah. What's the five-year, what's the significance of the five-year mark? The five-year, we classify survival of cancers using initially the, the five-year mark as a cutoff, for want of a better word. So it gives us, and that's how we compare the majority of tumors, survival at five years, 10, 15, 25, et cetera. Okay, gotcha. So that's not peculiar to breast cancer. Okay, all right, understood. So, um, Doc, I'm going to give you the floor to bring across any information that you think we need to know in terms of early detection, in terms of the importance of knowing our bodies. Um, what happens if you do get the big C and it's not a death sentence? So I'm going to give you the floor and you can take it away. I can't emphasize this enough. Early detection saves lives. I believe I am a strong opponent of the patient. If you feel uncomfortable or you think something is wrong, see someone. If you express your concern to your primary care provider and explore your options as it relates to investigations, you may not fall into the primary screening age group, but if you are genuinely concerned and you have, and you have discussed this with your primary care provider, then screening, once you appreciate that they can be false positives, is in your best interest. That conversation about cancer, we are now trying to change the narrative. We're seeing many more survivors, where we, many more women are living long productive lives, they're able to reintegrate into society. And if they didn't tell you that they had breast cancer, you would not be aware. Mm -hmm. But that's because we have diagnosed the patients early and we have treat them appropriately at an early stage. Screening saves lives. Early diagnosis is key. If you have a concern, it is best to express it. And then if it turns out that the screening reveals that it's a benign breast lump, like a fibroadenoma, which is most common, the most common breast lump, benign breast lump that we see in young women, then we would have explored your concern and it would have come back benign mm -hmm. as opposed to not exploring the concern and something sinister is lurking. 
Yep. And I mean, I, I just want to underscore what Doc said, you know, it doesn't mean age. Don't look at age and be like, oh, I'm too young. This is definitely nothing. I've been seeing this lump thing, looking thing, but it's nothing because I'm only 20 or I'm only 25 or 29 or 30. You know, definitely know your body and definitely speak up and advocate um, for yourself. Advocate so, for yourself. Advocate for yourself at all times. So, Doc, let us know your contact information. Maybe somebody's listening and they're like, this Doc sounds like the person I want to talk to. Let us know how we can talk to you. So, you can contact me. Um, I'm Dr. Jordan Hardy. I am on social media. The, uh, the practice is CMA Jamaica. We have an Instagram and a Facebook page. I have a personal page, DRJ Hardy, H-A-R-D-I-E-O-B-G-Y-N. That's a lot, but it's my, it's doctor, my first initial, my last name, and of course, I'm an OBGYN. And the contact number for the, and that is also my email. So if you add at gmail.com, that's my email, and you can send me an email. And our contact number is 876-505-5829. There you go. Thank you very much, Dr. Hardy. I appreciate it. No problem. I'm happy to come and speak about this topic because in reviewing the information, the Eve, I was actually quite surprised that our numbers were moving in the wrong direction, especially in young women. Yeah. So this is something that we need to speak about. Yep, I agree completely. I agree. Thanks, Doc. Thank you so very much for listening to this episode, everyone. I do hope that you were able to learn something new and if you had questions, that those questions were answered. However, if you still have questions that were not answered, we are ready and waiting to facilitate the answering of those questions. If it's of a more personal nature, your question, you can reach out to Dr. Hardy directly using the contact information that he provided. If it's a more general question and you're comfortable, you can send that to me on social media and Dr. Hardy and I will come back and do a part two answering all those questions. So you can find me on Instagram at S-H-A-N-Z-I-Q-U-E, on Twitter at S-H-A-N-Z underscore I-Q-U-E, on Facebook and LinkedIn, I am Shanique Hayden on those platforms. Guys, remember to share this episode with someone so that we can get the correct information out there. Remember, the more information we have, the more we are able to answer questions when they come up and we're able to educate our circle and keep ourselves informed. So thank you so very much for listening and I wish for you all an amazing week. Bye!